Good morning. Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to Romans 14. Pastor Mike, you'll need to adjust this mic again. I feel a little crowded. But I'm very blessed by the number of musicians we have and I'm very thankful for Pastor Mike uh, stepping up, leading the worship while Pastor Jay gets some extra baby time. Um, the kids on Wednesdays, though, are not. And well, hang on, don't, don't judge. Remember, that's what we're going to talk about today, not judging one another. I, I told the kids on Wednesday, uh, as we pray every Wednesday before we have our lesson, and I said, hey guys, you know, pray for me, please, because I'm preaching on Sunday. And one of your children said, but how come Pastor Mike's not preaching? <laughs> and I said, you see, that brother can sing and play music and he can preach. They won't let me touch this stuff, and that's for your own benefit. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this sermon. It wasn't planned. I just wanted you to know that we're all very thankful for the many servants we have who are multi-talented and some of us who are uni-talented. <laughs> Romans 14. A couple of weeks ago, I was in Romans 12, where God is commanding us through Paul writing to the church at Rome to love one another. And here we are a couple of weeks later, a couple of chapters later, and Paul is addressing legalism in the church as it relates to strong Christians and weak Christians. And we'll talk about that in great detail today. He's telling the weak to stop passing judgment on the strong and for the strong to not snicker and mock those who are weak in conscience. In essence, both camps are passing judgment on one another. They've taken a look at the way someone else is living their life evaluating it internally and saying, nope, that's not right. And what's remarkable throughout this entire section is that Paul doesn't side with either of them. He never says that one side is right and the other side more right, or one side is right and one side is wrong from where they're coming from. How they're acting out is another story. And while Paul does absolutely advocate for a gospel-fueled unity in the church, you can't help but see throughout this entire chapter Pastor Paul urging and desiring greatly for the weak in faith to mature, to grow up just a little bit. And he's trying to bring them there. Now, before any of this sermon makes sense, we have to just clarify a few things. We say, do not judge one another. And if we're going to understand this properly, we have to understand what Paul is talking about. And so let's just hear this loud and clear. Paul is not telling you to withhold judgment from someone sinning. Let's say that one more time. Paul is not telling you to withhold judgment from someone sinning. How do we know this? Well, we know this for two reasons. I'll tell you about that in just a second. What Paul is expressly calling attention to is judging one another over things that are adiaphorous, or things that are morally neutral. We know Paul's not talking about not judging someone who's sinning because Paul addresses church discipline. You know, those actions listed out in Scripture where he gives us a whole formula to follow when we find out someone's in sin. How do we restore them? How do we correct them? How do we love them? How do we help them? And he tells us about this in 1 Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 2, Galatians 6, Ephesians 5, 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 Timothy 5, 2 Timothy 3, and Titus 3. Paul is not soft on sin, neither is God. 
That's not what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about things that are morally neutral. We also know this because God says so. Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, Judge not that you be not judged, for with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. Then we have the risen Christ talking to Peter, and he says this in Acts chapter 10, verse 15. What God has made clean, do not call common. And he says it three times to make sure you can't miss the point. And then in Colossians 2, we read, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So if we can all agree that Romans 14 is not talking about withholding judgment from someone sinning, but instead we are commanded not to judge one another over areas that are morally neutral, the Holy Spirit can do His work now. Because now we have a right understanding of what Paul's addressing. Romans 14, starting in verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Some of you already have your vegetarian jokes handy. We're going to move right on. Let no, sorry, let not the one who eat despises the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. What if I told you that you could land yourself in a boiling pot of hot water for breaking a rule that didn't exist? You know, that's exactly what happened to a Czech millionaire recently. Uh, a guy by the name of Radom Passer. He got behind the wheel of his Bugatti Chiron, hopped on the German Autobahn, and in no, no short amount of time, reached speeds of 259 miles per hour. Yeah, you gearheads are like drooling right now. 259! In his dash cam video that now has over 12 million views on YouTube, he listed in the comments, we thank and praise God for the success and the safety he's given us in the good circumstances as we were able to reach the speed of 414 kilometers per hour. Uh, the Autobahn, the German Autobahn, in this section that he was doing his trial run, had no speed limit. And even though he didn't break any laws, he committed no crimes, the German transport ministry said in a statement that it rejects any behavior in road traffic that can lead or does lead to endangering road users. And so they launched an investigation. He was facing two years in prison or a very hefty fine for breaking a law that didn't exist. After they start to go through all of the details, they find out that his team of spotters strategically placed throughout his course on a section of the road that was the least busy of all during the least busy time of day, they realized this was a no harm, no foul situation. They had passed a judgment only to realize their judgment was wrong. You see, this is an area where someone is passing judgment on something that is morally neutral. There was no letter of the law that this man and his team broke. But somebody got a little upset because he was living his life differently, and so they decided to take their convictions and convict someone else. Now, that's not exactly what we see here going on in Paul's day. No one was reaching, you know, 20 miles an hour really in those days. 
But what we did see is people busting each other's chops and getting really upset and judging them or mocking them or excluding from fellowship people who ate meat, meat that wasn't kosher, maybe meat that had one, at one time been determined to be unclean, or maybe laughing and scoffing at people who are so fragile, so weak, so whatever you want to call it, that they dare not enjoy the freedoms that Christ's blood has purchased for them. Then we move on to holy days. People were so convicted that they had to abide by the Old Testament law, celebrating the Sabbath and the Jewish feasts and festivals, just like they had been raised, just like their family had carried on for generations. And they could not possibly see how it was ever morally permissible to do otherwise. Later on in the chapter, Paul even talks about people drinking wine. All of these are areas where in the New Testament, for Christians in Paul's day, just like Christians in our day, God has not said, thou shall or thou shalt not. These are areas in which God has neither expressly forbidden nor expressly condemned us to act or believe in a certain way. So brothers and sisters, this morning, this message is to convict us that whether or not we are weak in faith or strong in faith, we should not judge one another over morally neutral choices. And of course, that leads to a big question, why? Like, what's the big deal? Like, who cares if I like to talk about people who do it differently? Like, they're really messed up. My motivations, my convictions are in alignment with Scripture. There's no way theirs can be. And if I, and if I tell them because I feel like I need to because I want to protect them from the dangers of their path, why, why is it such a big deal? Well, I'm, I'm glad you asked that question because Paul gives us several reasons. Starting in verse 3, Paul says that Christians shouldn't judge one another because all are welcomed by God. So there's your first point. Christians shouldn't judge one another because all are welcomed by God. Paul starts off very quickly. He's addressing the strong. Those who believe they can eat whatever they want and it's not a big deal. They can drink whatever they want in moderation. It's not a big deal. They're enjoying their Christian liberty. But he very quickly adds to the mix those who are weak. Again, probably Jewish Christians who still have a conscience that's shackled by their upbringing. You know, some of us might have even been saved out of churches like that or saved in churches like that. The ones with a whole list of rules not found in the Bible that you were required to abide by if you were to be considered a Christian in good standing in that church. The oppression of legalism is real, and it still happens today. Not in churches like this as bluntly or as obviously, but it could still happen. And then we have the weak in faith, and we start to think, well, are we talking that they just can't bench press that much, so that's what we're talking about? Or is it just that they don't trust Jesus? And it's neither of those. When Paul's talking about someone who's weak in their faith, he's talking about someone who has a saving faith. It's a genuine faith. But they haven't yet quite grasped fully the implications of the faith they have in Jesus and what that affords them. Namely, that they're now under a law of grace, which is no law at all. You have freedom to honor God and serve God in all that you do. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So see, this is a two-way road, right? 
We have those passing judgment or those who are looking down their nose and maybe laughing at people to their face or behind their back. And of all the Roman roads, this is one that shouldn't even exist because God has welcomed the weak and he has welcomed the strong. And so what does it mean to be welcomed by God? What does that entail for us? We learn more about that in verse 4. Welcoming in God. God welcoming you. It means, and it carries with it the idea of welcoming someone into your home, to receive someone as a friend or, or with kindness. And if you've been saved any amount of time, you know that in Christ, your new life, you are adopted. You are grafted into the family. You are not God's stepchild. You are a joint heir with Jesus Christ, his son. You are a true brother, a true sister. Your family They say blood is thicker than water and all that. I don't know about that, but I do know that the gospel says, if you are saved in Jesus, your family. So brothers and sisters, like we said two weeks ago, look around the room. This is who you're supposed to love. Love one another. Why? Because we're family. We're also not supposed to judge each other because we're welcomed by God. God adopts us and he welcomes us into his presence with arms wide open. None of us, myself included, and I am the chief, most biggest sinner in this area. I'm the most judgmental person I know. And none of us are free to judge or withhold from fellowship or to ridicule or to pass judgment on someone that God has already accepted. That's Paul's whole point here. By the grace of God, genuine believers are free and accepted by God. And because we've been accepted by God, we served him. That just is a natural matter of course. You get saved, your family, and you serve God. This is what happens in the process of salvation, your sanctification. Part of that is the fact that you will serve God. And I think maybe that's why Paul says very specifically in verse 4 that we're servants. Do you guys see that? Servants answer to their own master and to no one else. If you are welcomed by God, you are a servant of God. Imagine with me for a minute that the neighbor kids are a little too rambunctious for your style. Maybe they party a little too loud. Maybe they'll let their dog do his business in your garden instead of theirs. And you want instead, you you go over to their house, you barge in the front door, and you try to ground their kids because of their behavior and their attitude and their general lack of respect for other people's property or noise level complaints or disturbing the peace, whatever it is. Like, seriously, how ridiculous is that? You have no authority over those kids to ground them. They don't answer to you. They're not yours. How dare you barge into someone else's house and pass judgment on someone else? They're not yours. And that's really what Paul's getting here. We are servants of God. And yes, we do serve one another, and we serve with one another. But you don't have the authority to judge me. I don't have the authority to pass judgment on you in morally neutral areas. And again, you you have to keep that in the forefront of your mind the entire sermon. Morally neutral areas. You hear what Paul says. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? And I think that's kind of tame because if I, think if, I think if the Apostle Paul were here, if he could give voice, audible voice to what he's saying, he might say something like this. Who do you think you are? Seriously, who do you think you are? Busting up in here, passing out judgment like that. Like, really, what's wrong with you? I know that you are convicted on this issue. Brother, sister, I get it. This bugs you. I get it. I understand. 
But that's not what God says. You don't get to just go in here and tell people they're sinning. You can't give a loud voice where scripture is silent. Who do you think you are to do this? Those who are welcomed by God will be upheld by God. So we don't pass judgment on one another because we're welcomed by God. If we're welcomed by God, we serve God. We also will be upheld by God. Since we are servants, it's before him that we stand or fall. And this whole idea of standing or falling, um, you've probably seen a movie or read a book where someone, usually a court jester or a chef, somebody's brought before the royalty. They're brought before the throne. And their life and livelihood depend on favor with the king. And a good, loyal, faithful servant will get a thumbs up. And they're free to keep on going. But the wicked or the deceptive or the lazy servant, the bad servant, they come in and it's off with their head. We're going to give an account to a holy God. It is to him that we answer. The weak and the strong will give an account to God. We will be upheld by God just the same. Isn't that a comfort? That it doesn't matter how strict I am, I'm still going to be upheld by God? It doesn't matter if I enjoy Christian liberties and I partake of this or that in moderation, I will be upheld by God. That's such a comfort. People that are judging you, people that maybe are despising you, sometimes we get angry. Sometimes we get really frustrated when other people pass judgment on us. And for those of us who are doing the deed, we are passing the judgment, we are passing the scorn, we have to realize that those one another's, the people in this room, they're also going to be upheld by God. They're going to answer to him and he will uphold them by the power of Jesus Christ. In verse 3, Paul is careful to mention that the weak are the ones passing judgment on the strong. So we can see how Paul is showing us that it's not by following a list of food and drink rules that help us find favor and approval in God's sight. It's all because of his power. It's the power of the blood that's going to make us righteous, that makes us favorable in God's sight. Now, in a church like this, with so much love overflowing, clear for the entire community to see, I don't think we have many people, maybe not any, who care whether or not you have bacon or a glass of wine with dinner. I could be wrong, but I just don't see that in our church. But I think we are far more likely to run into someone who passes judgment on us for not stocking our fridge with organic, range-free, grass-fed, non-GMO, fill-in-the-blank food. You laugh because maybe you've bumped into that person or that couple or that family. And on the flip side, we have people who see their conscious brothers and sisters fussing over what they will or will not put into their holy temple, wasting all of this money on more expensive food that really just tastes the same. You, you laugh, but what happens, what runs through your mind when you find out somebody doesn't shop at Aldi? <gasps> how dare they? Don't they know? Seriously, don't they know how much money? Here's a quarter, go, see for yourself. We laugh, but this happens. We've got good moms and dads in here doing whatever they can to feed their kids. And some of us are passing judgment. Maybe we've never given voice to it, but check your heart. You're going to tell me you've never looked down at somebody for shopping at Aldi? Or maybe you've laughed or judged somebody because they wanted the stuff that was a little bit healthier. You don't know what's going on in their heart. How dare any of us pass judgment? 
We often confuse our passion for an issue with conviction from God that we should impose on others. The judgment we pass on one another, me to you, you to me, and all of us together. The judgment we pass on one another over brand name versus store name. Organic versus non-organic. Non-GMO versus GMO. It's just as silly as the Jewish Christians passing judgment on the Gentile Christians for eating meat that wasn't kosher or for enjoying a ham sandwich or having some wine. It's just as silly. It's just as pathetic. C.S. Lewis once said in Mere Christianity, one of the marks of a certain type of a bad man is that he cannot give up a thing himself without wanting everyone else to give it up. This is not the Christian way. An individual may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons, marriage or meat or beer or the cinema, but the moment he starts looking down his nose at other people who do use them, he has taken a wrong turning. It's the righteousness of Jesus the Messiah that pleases God, not the contents of your pantry. What we fail to realize in the moment we pass judgment on someone or that we look down our nose on someone, or we laugh about the way they live their life, or we ridicule the way they're doing something. In that moment, we fail to see God as he truly is. Because if we, in that moment, realize that God is sovereign and supreme, we would never give more than a split second to think about usurping his authority, knocking him off the throne, and casting our own judgment. We wouldn't have the gall to do it. So whether we pass judgment on someone for their political opinions, because again, not everyone votes the same way you do, or the musical preferences, because not everyone listens to what you listen to, or what they fill their belly with, we're not just sinning against them, we're sinning against God. And that's really what matters most, is that we're sinning against God, but Paul tells us that we shouldn't judge one another because all are welcomed by God. But he doesn't stop there. He also tells us that Christians shouldn't judge one another because all give honor to God. You see that in verses 5 through 9. Christians shouldn't judge one another because all give honor to God. So it wasn't just judgments cast in both directions because of what they filled their belly with. It was also because of what days they esteemed to be holy. Verse 5 says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. So you can see there's, there's there's a fraction here in the church. The fishers are just under the surface, and maybe they're actually starting to come to the surface. The unity of the church is at stake. The representation of the gospel and the reputation of the work God does in saved people's life is at stake here. So Paul tells us not to judge one another over days that we esteem to be holy. You've got the Jewish folks who have always believed that the Old Testament laws, the days, the holy days, the feasts, the Sabbath, all of that needs to be believed and followed and adhered to. They're trusting in the law, even though they're no longer under the law, they're under grace. And instead of enjoying their Sabbath rest in Jesus all the time, they're really elevating one special day. And again, Paul doesn't side with either group, and I find that very interesting, but he does declare that each one should be fully convinced in his own mind, because for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. 
Again, we're talking about things that are morally neutral, not whether or not to celebrate Pride Month or have an abortion. We are talking about things where Scripture is silent. That's not to say there aren't biblical principles to support the weak or the strong. And that's what makes life a little bit challenging for us, right? Because there is scriptural support to do it this way. And there's scriptural support this way. And neither are taking Scripture out of context Neither are twisting scripture to make their thing better than the other person's. And in their desire to serve Jesus, we have two different practices originating from the same motive. That's a good thing for us to think about. I think the key that unlocks the solution to the tensions running through this particular body of believers is what Paul writes in verse 6. He says, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. The people you're passing judgment on are doing what they do or not doing what they don't do in honor of the Lord and giving thanks to God the entire way. So you're probably thinking, hmm, I wonder what kind of Christian I am. Am I a weak conscience Christian? Am I a strong conscience Christian? And how about we just solve some of that now? You're both. On different topics, you're both. Sometimes you're strong. Other times you might be a little more weak. I think that's all of us. But it doesn't matter because Bible, Paul says in the Bible that we're all welcomed by God and that what we do, our motivations, our pure and right motivations stem from a desire to honor and serve God. You feel the weight lifting off of your shoulders now that you no longer need to answer for how you're living your life when it's in alignment with Scripture? Yes, in areas it looks differently. And your principles are derived from Scripture. But you don't have to stay up late at night trying to think, how am I going to answer them when 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 they call me out on this? The nice thing here is that Paul is very clear that the strong honor God with their faith and the weak honor God despite their deficient faith. Christian liberty is a radical idea. As having been saved in an independent fundamental Baptist church with a list of rules longer than you can imagine, getting out of that is a huge ordeal. Some of you know what I mean because you have similar experience or maybe you attended a Catholic church or maybe your family didn't attend church, but the rules and expectations that your folks put on you and your kids and your kids' kids was just as oppressive and just as hard to free yourself from. Paul says that God is honored with our faith and those who have a deficient faith, who don't fully understand what the gospel has granted to them, the freedom that Jesus provides, their motive is to honor God. You're free to enjoy the feast of God's bounty as long as your motivation is an honor to God. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10.31, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now Paul's also very clear, if you're a strong conscience Christian, in this topic, or in these topics. It's not your judge to hound the weak in faith and get them to go against their conscience. And that would really be part two of a sermon series if we were allowed that kind of time. You can do some homework, talk about it tonight in your small groups. But Paul has some very strong words to say for those of us or those of you who are in a strong position 
and you know of weak brothers and sisters who aren't enjoying all of the freedoms that are afforded to them in the gospel, and you might be tempted to get them to go against their conscience. And Paul says, don't you dare. Don't destroy that person. Don't get them to sin. Because if you're not fully convinced and convicted in your own mind, in your own heart, you would be sinning. The weak Christians honestly believe that what they abstain from is honoring to the Lord. That's their motivation. And think about it for a minute. Is there any other motivation that is better than an abundance of reverence and fear of the Lord to do something or not do something? Because that's what's going on. The reason they're not eating the meat that is not kosher, the reason they're keeping some of the Old Testament feast days and festivals is because they love God. They fear him. They revere him. They want to live their life as an acceptable sacrifice. They desire all that they do and think and say to honor and please God. Now, if that were different, do you think Paul would have ignored the fact? No, of course not. He would have seized the opportunity by the power of the Spirit to call them out and putting on an appearance just to impress other people. But that's not what he does. He tells them, And he tells everyone else who disagrees with the weak Christian lifestyle that what they do, they do for the same reasons you do what you do. And that's a whole lot of confusion. Everyone with a right motive, weak conscience or strong conscience, do the things they do or abstain from what they abstain from in honor of the Lord. Aside from politics and religion, I think two of the most heated conversations you can have with someone are about parenting. One such topic is whether to breastfeed or bottle feed. Now, let that sink in for a minute. We're going to argue about how you're supposed to feed your kid. Another one is whether or not to homeschool or send your kids to a private or a public school. Numerous blogs and books and podcasts have been created talking about these mommy wars. And in fairness, they're daddy wars too, but I've lived through all of that. You don't take the heat nearly as much as your wife. You just can't. You're not the target. She is. So, because this is where the Spirit led me this week, let's get into some uncomfortable topics. Let's talk about this, feeding babies. We are prone to idolizing a certain method. Despite my personal convictions, and if you want to know, I'll tell you after the service. Despite what we did for my kids, we'll talk about that after the service. Despite my convictions, despite your convictions, There are gospel principles that allow us to have freedom to do one way or the other. And yet there are moms possibly in this room who've gone through this or are going through this or who will someday unfortunately go through this. Feeling like they're not enough because someone else said something really stupid and passed a harsh judgment on them for the way they feed their baby. Now think about it for a minute. Bottle feeding or breastfeeding aren't both honoring to God because you love that child and you would stop at nothing to make sure that they're fed and protected and happy and healthy? Don't both require a ton of sacrifice? Aren't both messy? Can't both be painful? Aren't both of them extremely not efficient? Aren't both of them incredibly inconvenient at 3.30 in the morning? You don't know what's in that mama's heart. So be quiet. 
In the gospel, we find grace not only for ourselves, but for everyone else as well. And praise God for it too, because we need all the grace we can get. So praise God for lactation consultants, breast pumps, and formula when our bodies don't do what we want them to do. Or when the sins of the world and the result of Genesis 3 rear its ugly head again. And it's just not possible for a million of other reasons, none of which are your business. They're not my business. Praise God that we have Christian moms who grew a human, or for some of them, multiple, or multiple times over, and gave life to honor God, to raise that kid up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That kid might be your next pastor. You don't even know. That kid might leave your kids to Christ. And you judged his mom for how he was fed. Shame on us. Hey, we're not done stepping on toes. Let's talk childhood academia. Completely transparent, we homeschooled our kids. Not always. Uh, Kendra went first couple of years in public school. No judgment. If you do it different, not telling you you need to do it. But childhood academia, right? Maybe you don't bring that up at Thanksgiving because not everybody believes the way you do. Not everyone sees it your way. And again, despite biblical principles being able to support both ways of life, we still can have infighting. I say we can because I don't see that happening here, at least not intentionally. So this isn't me like coming down hard on you. It's just, hey, this is what's in Romans 14. Way back when, Christians had infighting because they were passing judgment on one another over morally neutral areas. And hey, guess what? We're not any better than them. We still pass judgment on one another over morally neutral areas. Childhood academia happens to be a hot-button topic. Both sides hold their convictions dearly and passionately. And if they are required or offered the chance to speak about them, I'm sure they will give voice to what they believe. Judgment, not good. Curiosity, absolutely. Ask a million questions. Thoughtful questions, challenging questions. That's great. In brotherly and sisterly love, you're allowed to do that. But let Jesus do the judging. It doesn't matter why you think someone does something differently than you. The Bible is clear. In the liberty won by Christ, you're free to take either path. If you think it's evil to send your kids to a public school and have them indoctrinated by the state, wonderful. Don't send your kids to public school. End of story. If you believe that, there, that it is more advantageous for you and your family, your kids specifically, to be in a public school setting, to be a light in a dark and dying community, and all of the opportunities that that affords you that I didn't have, homeschooling my kids, wonderful, great, don't homeschool your kids. But don't you dare sit there and tell me that you're better than me or better than so-and-so because you're stronger, because you don't fear God, because you just trust the process or whatever else. Neither side has a high horse to ride in on. The legs were chopped off before the conversation started. Both sides, in honor to God, to love him, to serve him, to faithfully raise their kids, have opted to take a different path, neither of which are going against Scripture. And as long as you're not going against your conscience, you're good. Two people can operate from the same right motive and have it look like two different practices. In either situation, and a million more just like them. Don't judge one another over morally neutral areas, but instead extend grace. Confound the world that you're gracious to someone who doesn't see eye to eye with you. 
Why? Well, Paul says in verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding. So when you walk across the aisle at someone else who does something that you don't agree with, but they're technically not wrong, they didn't break any laws, it's just not how you would have done it, realize that Christ is the Lord of both the living and the dead, the breastfed and the bottle-fed, homeschooled and public-schooled, strong and weak. He is Lord of all. Amen? Paul tells us as Christians that we shouldn't judge one another because all are welcomed by God. He also tells us that we shouldn't judge one another because all give honor to God. And then he tells us that Christians shouldn't judge one another because all will give an account to God. Verses 10 through 13. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. The strong and the weak will give an account to God. They're going to stand before the judgment seat of God. Now, when Paul was writing this, he may very well have been thinking about the Sermon on the Mount, but he definitely had in mind Isaiah because in verse 11, he quotes Isaiah 45, 23. What he really is accomplishing here is he is making sure that the Jewish Christians, those who are passing judgment on other people, are very aware of this point. Those brothers and sisters over there that you're passing judgment on serve and love and were redeemed by the one Isaiah preached about. The God of the Hebrew Scriptures is the judge of the strong and the weak in both. So maybe just hold off on passing judgment on someone else. Maybe let God keep his authority and you can just know your role and stay in your lane. And since we're going to stand before the judgment seat of God, keep in mind that we are all going to give an account. None of us are exempt from this. And thankfully, as Christians, this doesn't scare us. Or at least it shouldn't. The fact that you're going to give an account to God yeah, that should be a sobering thought, and it should be one you think upon regularly. Am I living in a way that's going to make it more difficult for me to stand in front of God and answer for how I live my life, for how I use my thought process, for how I use my resources, for how I'm faithful to my family and my church and my work? But we're not responsible for how other people live their life. Listen, it doesn't matter if you had a Reuben last week, as long as you didn't eat a guy named Reuben, you're fine. You have to have a glass of wine because you're celebrating or a, or a glass of champagne. Great, don't get drunk, you're fine. Scripture doesn't tell us to not eat a sandwich or to not have a certain kind of drink. Verse 17 says, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God it's not about food and wine. It's about joy and peace. And like I said, one day we're all going to give an account before the judge. One day you're going to stand in the presence of Almighty God. And with his piercing gaze upon you, do you honestly think for a minute that you're going to be able to think about what the family three rows in front of you did that really ticked you off, that really grinded your gears because for whatever reason they refused to listen to your wisdom? I don't think so. And really, what would be the point? You're answering for you, not someone else. The issues in the early church in Rome may have looked a little bit different than what we have today. Like I said, no one here cares if you eat bacon. 
Most people don't care if you have one. But there's a lot of other things what we really do care about. And we're going so far as to pass judgment on one another. We got to be careful not to use our convictions to convict another before God and put them in hot water for breaking laws that don't exist. We judge each other over non-essential things all the time. Again, myself included, first and foremost. We are nitpicky. We are legalistic at times. We, we think that our higher standards make us holy instead of the shed blood of Christ. We think that our list of rules and regulations and add-ons to Scripture curries favor with God. Or, or on the flip side, we think the fact that we know the Scripture so well. So we can go to chapter and verse where clearly God says, Do not call unclean what I call clean. Again, you remember God did that to Peter and that pig's a blanket. Everything's good. Have at it. Enjoy the food. We think that our faith allows us extra favor with God, that somehow we're better than our weaker brothers or sisters, but that's not true. None of us can judge the motivations of another for how they try to honor and serve Jesus with their life. I hope if you learned anything from all of this, it's that two people can operate from the very same motivation to honor and love God, and it looks like two different practices. This is why we need to keep preaching the gospel to ourselves. We need the gospel because it's at the foot of the cross that we find forgiveness, that we find grace, that we find our peace and joy, not just for ourselves. Brothers and sisters, we can't stop there. Don't close the door when God has left it wide open. It's for the other people in this room that don't live the same way you do, that maybe don't prioritize the same things you do in the same way or in the same order. There might be someone here, though, that has never been to the foot of the cross. They've never repented. They've never been born again. They've never cried out to Jesus and asked them to forgive them. And as we think about this idea of one day, all will give an account to God. What did Isaiah say? Every tongue will bow, every knee will confess, or vice versa. We will give an account to a holy God. Someone here is contemplating how that's going to pan out for them. They're conflicted on the inside because they're not sure they have any answers. Now they're now they're a little bit confused, and then that confusion turns into great and deep concern because they have no good answer. If God were to ask them, why should I let you into heaven? If that's you this morning, if your conscience is pricked and you're not sure what you would say, if you've never trusted in Jesus, I would suggest right now you don't even listen to the rest of what I'm going to say in the conclusion. You just cry out to God in your seat, and you ask him to save you. If you have questions, you can talk with me or Pastor Mike or one of the other elders and deacons after the service. We would love to spend some time with you and show you through the Bible how you can know that today can be your day of salvation. Now, for everyone else in here, if you are a Christian, if you've been redeemed, if you've been saved by the blood of the Lamb, then you have every reason not to judge someone over morally neutral issues because your judgment has been paid for on the cross, and so is theirs. If that weren't enough, and it most certainly is, but if that weren't enough from like a fleshly perspective, you need a little more to be convinced that maybe now is the time to grow up a little bit and stop laughing at those who enjoy their freedom or, or laughing at those who don't enjoy enough freedoms. Maybe we just remind ourselves of what Paul says in Romans 14, that all are welcomed by God, all serve God, all give honor to God, all will give an account to God. We rejoice in these truths. And we apply them to ourselves, but we have to remember that they apply to others as well. These truths apply to all Christians because of the redemptive work of Jesus. He is the one that makes this possible. He's the one that removes the judgment because he has taken it upon himself on the cross. 
He removes our sin and gives us instead his righteousness so that we can be welcomed by God. I hope you realize that you would never be good enough to be welcomed by God if it weren't for his blood. He gives us his spirit to equip us so that all of the things we do can be honoring to God. And we're able to give thanks to God because of the new life we have and the, and the way the Spirit works in us. He purchased us with his blood so that now we belong to him. So one day when we give an account, it's not as some random Joe off the street. It's not as a criminal. It's as one of his children. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, God, we thank you this morning. And as the worship team comes up, We ask the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to search our souls and reveal to us areas where we are the weak Christian or where we are the strong Christian. And Lord, we know it's fully within the realm of possibility that we are weak in some areas and strong in others, but it is absolutely possible that we are guilty of judging our brothers and sisters over morally neutral areas. Lord, we've, we've heard some hard things this morning, and they haven't been easy to say. We do love one another, Lord, but our love is imperfect, and we judge far too often. I pray, Lord, I pray that if there is someone you are bringing to our mind that we have sinned against because of the things we've said behind them, behind their back, or maybe even to their face, if we've judged someone unjustly, I pray, Lord, that you would motivate us to get out of our seat that you would motivate us to go to that brother or sister and ask for forgiveness. I pray, Lord, that you would give us much grace as we repent not only to the ones we've sinned against by judging them unjustly, but, Lord, that we would repent to you and ask you to forgive us for judging those that you have already welcomed, judging those that you will uphold, that you have approved, judging those that honor you. Holy Spirit, do your work and do your will in our lives. Bless us as we lift your name up in song. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.